welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Tom Hartman, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, The Rachel Maddow Show, and NPR. But I want to start out with, with just this whole issue of the of this Republican war, this, this economic war, because it, it all ultimately boils down to economics. This is, this is the bottom line. This is where it all goes. Let me just share with you some, some news stories as, as starting points, I think, and, uh, and, and see where we go with this. This is from today's Financial Times. Abu Dhabi considers an end of the dollar peg. Right, right now, Abu Dhabi is tying their currency to the U.S. dollar. And the problem is that because of 30 years of Republican policies, uh, conservative economic policies, because we have replaced old-fashioned demand-side economics that was the way that this country was run for 300 years, uh, 230 years formally, but you know, arguably goes back thousands of years, because we have replaced demand-side economics and economics that says there are people out there who want to buy things. Gee, I think I'll start a business to sell it to them. With supply-side economics, this, this invention that came along during the Reagan administration that says, let's take the public money and give it to wealthy people in the hopes that they will build factories and they will get more wealthy. And in the process of buying more yachts, there'll be more jobs building yachts. And in the process of their, of their buying new Gulfstream stream aircraft, there'll be more jobs uh, for Gulfstream. And, and uh, hopefully they'll build a factory and make something that will cause us to want to buy it. Uh, this has been a disaster. It doesn't work. So y- y- we have that, piece number one. Piece number two, because traditional demand-side economics said, oh, and by the way, I should say welcome to our, <laughs> welcome to our program, my friends. Uh, Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, because traditional, and welcome back from the 4th of July holiday. Boy, it's, it's been... I've been writing all week on this on this book I'm working on, and and uh, it was a, a nice and useful break and a tip of the hat and many thanks to Mark Marin for filling in the two days he did and and um, I hope you had a fine Fourth of July. Anyhow, the 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 traditional this this traditional concept of economics is that people buy things because they have the money in their pocket to buy them. In other words, what drives an economy is demand, and the demand comes in part out of the fact that people have the means to supply that, to to fulfill that demand. In other words, they're making enough money they can buy things. Well, there were really two pieces to Reaganomics. The first part of Reaganomics was we're going to forget about whether or not people can afford to buy things. We're simply going to take... We're going, to, we're going to tax, they, Ronald Reagan doubled the tax on working people, literally doubled the tax on working people, and put into place huge tax breaks, dropping from 70% down to 28%, the taxes on people who were making over three and a half, $3.2 million in today's dollars a year, uh, dramatically dropped the taxes on the very wealthy. And on corporations. Corporations before Reagan came into office were paying about 35% of the total cost of infrastructure in the United States, the total cost of police and fire and everything else that corporations use. And, and uh, you know, Reagan began the systematic destruction of that. We're down now to around 7 
of our taxes in the United States are paid by corporations. The rest are paid by individual taxpayers, you and me. No wonder people are going, oh, my God, my taxes are so high. Yeah, well, there's a reason. So, in any case, the the Reagan administration came to the conclusion, uh, as a result of this supply-side insanity that that was promulgated largely by people like Phil Graham, Phil Graham, who is John McCain's chief economic advisor, that Phil Graham, and Alan Greenspan, who was, uh, has been economic advisor to a variety of presidents from, from Reagan through, through Clinton. Anyhow, they said it doesn't matter if people have the money to buy stuff or not, because we're all about jacking up corporate profits. We've got to increase profits for corporations. So by increasing profits for corporations, number one, we're going to cut their taxes, corporations and the wealthy. Number one, we're going to cut their their taxes. Number two, we're going to give them more government money, subsidies, bonuses, benefits, protections, you know, Price Anderson for the nuclear industry, uh, more free federal land for the oil industry, the mining industry, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to change the way that our rules of international trade so that their manufacturing floors can, can move overseas. They can make their cars in Mexico. They can make their toys in China. And, and so basically labor becomes cheaper as a consequence of that then uh, the corporate profits go up as well. We didn't see necessarily, in many cases, I mean, there are a lot of products uh, from jeans to tennis shoes to fill in the blank, where prices never really went down. What happened was was profits went up. So, so the bottom line was destroy the ability of the wage earner to earn money and, and shift all this money up to the top. Now, there's a slight problem here. Who's going to buy anything? If they don't have income anymore, we've seen the the wages of the real earning power of the average American worker steadily erode. I mean, it it climbed for years and years and years, and it has been steadily eroding, you know, pretty much from the get go. From 1949 to to, uh, 1959, U.S. median family income grew by 37 percent. From from 1959 until 1970, it grew by 41%. We're talking substantial increases in the income of working people. I mean, people were making more money every year. Everybody knew that they could do better than their dad. I mean, it was just, you know, and, and every year was a better year. But when Reagan came along, with growth of for for actually during the last couple of years of the Carter administration, this was in part because we were wringing out the the all the borrowed money from from the Vietnam War, uh, that dropped down to 6.8% throughout the 70s. And only and 97% of that went to the top 20% of families. Since Reagan, real income for wage-earning Americans, people who earn a paycheck rather than make their money on dividends and income, real income has gone down steadily, continues to. So the, the, the Republicans looked at this and they said, OK, you know, this is working out great for our fat cat campaign contributors. This is working out great for the top, you know, one percent, two percent of Americans. It's working out well for the millionaires and the billionaires, the top one one tenth of one percent. But we got this problem. We got consumers all across America who are not buying stuff, who can't afford to buy stuff. What are we going to do? And Greenspan came along and said, loosen credit. Let them borrow. You know, during the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, when, when we were seeing 30, 40, 50 percent increases in, in, in wage growth over every decade, 
During that period of time, as America's middle class grew strong, people bought their homes, they bought their cars, they bought land, they bought physical things, they owned things, they had pensions, they had assets. Let's strip them of of those assets. Let's make it easy for them to refinance their house as times get tougher. Let's make it easy for them to buy a car on credit or not even buy a car, simply lease a car. Let's make it easy for them to, to get credit card debt to jack up credit card debt and run it really high. And let's make it really easy for the credit card companies to really screw them. So basically what has happened is over the last 30 years, Americans have been thrown massively into debt as a way and by government policy, encouraging Americans to throw themselves massively in debt as a way to keep buying stuff, to keep the economy going. And here we are now. It's coming to an end. It's coming into an end in two ways. Number one, we're reaching the limits of credit. Americans are tapped out. Americans are so broke they can't afford to borrow money anymore. And number two, the government has been doing the same thing. Seventy percent of the total debt of America was run up by three Republican presidents, two Bushes and a Reagan. And the consequence of this is that our dollar is falling through the floor. And so we come back to this original news story. I started this with Abu Dhabi Ponder's end of dollar peg. Countries like in the Middle East are saying... Don't think we want to do dollars anymore. I broke free on a Saturday morning. I put the pedal to the floor. Headed north on Mills Avenue. And listen to the engine roar. On top of this thing live, George Miller was with us. He's a congressman from California, stepped out of the caucus meeting, told us about a new Republican proposal, and uh, right now it has just gotten into the news. Uh, They they don't have a deal. It looked like they had a deal. Everything was buttoned up, and they uh, they presented it to the president. And in the meeting, the House Republicans blindsided the Democrats and said, oh, we have a different proposal, an alternative, the one that Congressman Miller talked about. We're going to cut taxes even more, and we're going to cut regulation even more, which is exactly the wrong remedy. It couldn't be more of a wrong. It's 1,000% wrong. It's exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. And what did I tell you? I told you the Republicans were going to try to screw the Democrats, and they were going to say, all right, you see the Democrats and Bush are going along with this. It's the Washington establishment. Trusting Republicans to do the right thing for the country? Which country have you been living in? Of course they weren't going to do that. And so it blew apart. And no, now they don't have a deal. And the Democrats walked out. Thank God. (laughs) They certainly shouldn't sign on to it if the Republicans are going to come with some BS proposal at the last second that has nothing to do with reality. All right, so that's the breaking news on it. Now uh, let's go to the campaign of uh, Palin and, and, and McCain. McCain says he suspended his campaign, and then he goes on Katie Couric to do an interview on CBS News. And I said, well, how's that suspending your campaign? You're doing a political interview. In the middle of the interview, he attacks Barack Obama on earmarks, on not attending the town hall meetings. 
It's a completely political interview. And I thought that was bad enough. Today he's on all three networks. He's on ABC, he's on CBS, he's on NBC. Sarah Palin's in New York at some September 11th tribute talking about politics. She even answered a couple of reporters' questions, and they were all political answers. How is this suspending the campaign? And they have their surrogates on every single cable network and uh, news network as well. This isn't suspending the campaign. This is a cheap political trick. And McCain comes out here and says, oh, I'm going to put country first. And I'm going to suspend my campaign while we work out this financial disclosure, you know, this financial bailout. And then what do they do? They do two fun tricks. One, the House Republicans go and ruin the bailout by saying at the last second, we're not on board, we have a different policy proposal, and thereby trying to stick the Democrats with the bill. And then at the same time, they, uh, McCain goes out and campaigns like crazy. He's on, he could, if he tried, he literally could not be campaigning more. He's on every network attacking Barack Obama while he pretends to be suspending his campaign. <laughs> I mean, how much of these lies are you going to take? How could this race even be close? I don't understand. I, I just The problem is the American people don't have the same information you and I have. They have very, very limited information. And the Democrats keep thinking that, they, that the American people know everything that they know, that we know. They don't. They know a limited amount. All they see is House Republicans are angry about this bailout. Well, I'm angry about this bailout. Okay, then I must be with the Republicans. That's all they see. John McCain says, oh, he's going to put country first, and he wants to really make sure this uh, economic crisis is handled uh, thoroughly first. Well, you have to go, look, on that one I'm not going to blame him, because I think the Democrats have played it right. They Right from the get-go they were strong. They said it's a cheap political trick. Now Barney Frank... Uh, coming him uh, coming in and calling him Mighty Mouse. Here I come to save the day. He's like, dude, we already had a deal. In fact, what happened? John McCain showed up to Washington. All of a sudden, the deal fell apart. That is literally what happened today. Why? Because he did exactly what the Democrats were afraid of. He politicized it. It is the again the exact opposite of what he claimed. He said, oh, I don't want to politicize it. That's why I'm suspending my campaign. He goes to Washington, politicizes it, and the deal falls apart. You can't have anybody do a worse job. And, and then we turn to Sarah Palin. So she became suspended campaign, might ask, just wants to run away from the debate. On Friday, is there going to be a debate? I don't know. We're going to cover it on the youngturks.com. But right now, Barack Obama says, if John McCain doesn't show up, I'll do a town hall meeting. Or I'll do a, you know hour, hour and a half interview with uh, Lehrer and then Jim Lehrer, and they'll put it on there. And if he doesn't show up, that's his problem. Because he isn't suspending his campaign. What a crock of... Crap that is. You know that's not true. We know for a fact it's not true. And meanwhile, they're trying to suspend the VP debate for no apparent reason. I can't emphasize that enough. Sarah Palin is a moron. It's The jury is in. It's over. She doesn't know anything. She can't go to that debate. They think, well, look, canceling the VP debate is terrible. The only thing worse is the alternative, which she actually goes to the VP debate. Now, on top of all that, we find out that Sarah Palin, and, and I told this to you guys, on a, I believe, in a post-game show last week, but let me share it with everybody here, okay? Uh, at her church, at first I thought it was not as big a deal, but it turns out she, you know, she's still getting the voodoo witchcraft, anti-witchcraft, I should say, uh, sprinkled over her, right? Uh, she had a guy come into her church, a Kenyan pastor, who's known for battling a witch in Kenya. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm not making this stuff up. This is, they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, okay?
and he put he laid hands on her and he blessed her and she later said she was quoted as saying that she thought him praying over her helped her to win the governorship now we have the video i want to real quick show you the video of this guy talking about witchcraft and this is what sarah palin credited partly credited for her winning the governorship because she is running for governor when you uh this happened let's watch we are asking you as the body of Christ in this valley, make a way for Sarah, even in the political arena. Make a way, my God. Bring finances her way, even for the campaign in the name of Jesus. And above all, give her the personnel. Give her men and women that will back her up in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Every form of witchcraft. Is what we rebuke in the name of Jesus. Father, now, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all be seated. Okay, it's a good thing he rebuked the witchcraft, because otherwise, I mean, obviously somebody was trying to do witchcraft to Sarah Palin, and it might have worked, and she might not have become governor, and then VP and possibly president. Oof, it's a good thing that guy shoot away the witchcraft. By the way, you know what he did in Kenya? He uh, accused this woman of being a witch because there was a couple of car accidents in front of her house. I'm not kidding. They were they came to lynch her. The cops had to come in and escort her out of town because this guy was going to get her killed because he accused her of being a witch because there was a couple of car accidents. These people are mental. They're mental, okay? And Sarah Palin got her lay hands, you saw hands laid on her. She thought, oh, thank God this guy has rebuked the witchcraft around me and he told all the personnel uh, to come and buck me up. And, yeah, something's been bucked up all right. This woman is running for vice president. Somebody help us. Somebody help us, man. Don't do it. Don't vote for these people. You'll regret it the rest of your life. Don't do it, man. Congress allocates $500 billion to combat an unexplained rattling sound in the congressional car. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. After numerous high-level meetings with Washington, D.C. mechanics, Congress is unwilling to believe the rattling noise in the rear left side of their car to be, quote, just one of those things. After voting 92 to 4 to allocate $500 billion to ascertain the cause, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid says it better come back from the shop fixed. Just as soon as you hit 38 miles per hour, something starts going tack, tack, tack. It is very annoying. Observers were surprised by the quick response as Congress has done nothing about the 69 Dodge Charger that has been on blocks outside the Senate office building since early 1970.
here's just uh, some aspects of this. Okay, I, I set up how this happened. We moved from people earning money and spending that money, a demand-based economy, to the to people being taxed, the money being given to rich folks, the rich folks, uh, in most cases, saving it or moving it over to China. But in any case, so people, in order to maintain the lifestyle that they had in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, had to start borrowing, and now we're all tapped out. So where do we go now? Not, are, not only are we tapped out, but as Dick Cheney says, you know, Ronald Reagan taught us that deficits don't matter. Yeah. So here in the Sunday paper and Sunday Parade magazine, intelligence report, for sale, U.S. roads. Some of America's cash-strapped states and cities are leasing public roads to the highest bidders, often foreign investors. Chicago's famous Skyway is controlled by the Spanish-Australian investment group, an Italian firm or operates the dullest greenway outside Washington, D.C. So, gee, you want to get to, to the nation's airport, the nation's capital's airport, Dulles? You have to go on a greenway that's owned by a company out of Italy. Yes, Silva, Salvador, uh, uh, Mr. Berlusconi, Salvador Berlusconi is, is going to be the guy who, you know, I mean, this is how bizarre it gets, right? Abu Dhabi says they're, uh, they're going to drop their connection to the dollar. Why? Because the dollar is inflating like crazy. They're experiencing 11% inflation in Abu Dhabi because they don't jigger their inflation numbers. Kevin Phillips says our inflation numbers are total nonsense. He says in real numbers, he says you look at what happened, he says there's a, there's a whole series of things. Clinton administration changed them. In 94, the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, said, uh, oh, by the way, if you work for less than a year, you're discouraged. We're no longer going to count you. Four million people, bang, just like that, fell off the unemployment rolls, um, fell off the, the official statistics of unemployed people because they were so-called discouraged workers. Sure did look good for the Clinton economy. Uh, wasn't so good for us. They also thinned the economic sample by a sixth. They cut it from 60,000. We used to sample 60,000 families. They cut it down to 50,000. And guess who the 10,000 they didn't sample anymore were? People in inner cities. So we're no longer looking at the areas where unemployment is highest in the United States. Bottom line, we got totally phony numbers. According to Kevin Phillips, who's, I mean, this, you know, one of the top writers, economists, and frankly, conservatives in America. He says the real numbers, here's the real numbers. Today's U.S. unemployment rate is actually between 9 and 12 percent. Our inflation rate is actually between 7 and 10 percent. Our e economic growth, other, you know, once you take out the rich and the super rich, not there, we're creeping into recession. That's Kevin Phillips. Meanwhile, because our dollar has fallen so far, who won this battle between George W. Bush and Osama bin Laden? To the extent that it was a battle, I'm not sure it ever was, because Bush never really went after bin Laden. Bin Laden's sitting there in Pakistan having a good old time, and we're mired in Iraq. But nonetheless, in 1998, Osama bin Laden gave an interview in which he said that, you know, one of the things that was really wrong with the world was the fact that we were stealing oil from Saudi Arabia, his holy land. We were paying 11 bucks a barrel for oil in 1998. How much did he say it should be? He said it should be at least $144 a barrel. Guess what the price hit last week? $144 a barrel. Osama bin Laden has won the economic war against the United States. He is bankrupting us. But it's not Osama bin Laden who's doing it. It's Bush and Bush policies. That's the bottom line. I mean, that's it, it comes right straight down to that. On top of that, we see we just got last Friday 62,000 jobs lost. This is six months in a row of jobs lost. Nobody's mentioning the fact that 
if there were no jobs lost, there would still be jobs lost because there's 115,000 people coming into the job market every month as young people graduate from high school and college and come into the job market at, at higher numbers than the numbers of people who are who are retiring and dying. So you have to have 115,000 a month just to keep even. During the eight, eight years of the Bush or of the Clinton administration, over 30 million jobs were created. During the seven and a half years of the, of the, of the Bush administration so far, three million jobs have been created. Now, granted, under Bushonomics and under the, first, and the, under the second half of Clintonomics, if you got fired from your good full-time union job and you took a part-time job working at Walmart and a part-time job working at, at 7-Eleven, you are now considered to be two employed people. In other words, they have two jobs. So according to statistics, things went up. So, I mean, that's how bad it is. And now it's cracking down into the 401ks. All along, the cons have been saying, oh, we just need to privatize Social Security. People need choice, right? Like they need choice in their medicine. They need choice in their 401ks in their retirement. Forget Social Security, that idea of a pension. That's so outmoded. People want to have a fixed amount of money, not, not, not an amount of money that will pay them every day for the rest of their lives, no matter how long they live, like Social Security is, which is a pension. Instead, we want to have a, a defined benefit plan or a fixed benefit plan. We want to have a program where, where you put in 100000 bucks, you get out 100000 bucks plus interest. Well, the bottom line is, or the problem is, most 401ks are actually invested in the stock market. What's happening in the stock market? Gee, it's going south. You hearing anybody promoting privatization of Social Security? I don't. I'm telling you, the Republicans are destroying our economy for everybody except them. I want to live where so meets body And let the sun wrap its arms around me Bathe my skin in water The Wall Street Journal this morning characterized this economic storm we are in as a, quote, Category 5 test of our financial levies. Almost overnight, Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old financial giant that withstood two world wars and a Great Depression, crumbled. Its employees left to pack up their desks ASAP only weeks after being assured that their jobs were safe. Another Wall Street institution, Merrill Lynch, was rescued and consumed by Bank of America after 48 hours of frantic negotiations. And the future of yet another giant, AIG, hangs in the balance. The stock market dropped 500 points. As the financial crisis enters above the fold, giant headline stop press territory, the partisan divide on the economy could hardly be clearer. Here's what I mean. Here's President Bush on the money meltdown today. In the short run, adjustments in the financial markets can be painful, both for the people concerned about their investments and for the employees of the affected firms. In the long run, I'm confident that our capital markets are flexible and resilient and can deal with these adjustments. Flexible and resilient? 
Okay, after seven and a half years at the helm, we should maybe expect a little self-confident delusion from the president about how well he's done economically. But surely neither of the men running to succeed Bush would look at today's news, at the national debt, at wages, at income inequality, at the dollar, at gas prices, at mortgages, at the 500-point plunge in the market today, and say, all in all, looks good. Would they? You know that there's been tremendous turmoil in our financial markets in Wall Street. And it is, it's, um, people are frightened by these events. Our economy, I think, still, the fundamentals are, of our economy are strong, but these are very, very difficult time. The fundamentals are what? A few hours later, after his remarks were put through the McCain campaign reinterpreter machine, the senator clarified with the help of some trusty note cards that everyone misunderstood him. As it turns out, he did acknowledge that the banking system is in crisis, but he went on to defend his interpretation of those fundamentals. Our workers are the most innovative, the hardest working, the best skilled, most productive, most competitive in the world. That's the American worker. And my opponents may disagree, but those fundamentals, the, the American worker and their innovation, their entrepreneurship, the small business, those are the fundamentals of America, and I think they're strong. Oh, I see. So if you're against the economy going down the toilet, you're against American workers. And if you're against the war, you're against the troops. And if you're against climate change, what, you're against sunlight or something? On the other side of the divide was Senator Obama, who sees the fundamentals as troubled at best. Here's his response to McCain today. Senator McCain, what economy are you talking about? What's more fundamental than the ability to find a job that pays the bills and that can raise a family? What's more fundamental than knowing that your life savings is secure and that you can retire with dignity? What's more fundamental than knowing that you'll have a roof over your head at the end of the day? What's more fundamental than that? So the Republicans say publicly that it's uncomfortable, but it's not that bad. The Democrats say it's really bad. What about the economic Uber experts? Well, the normally reserved, unquestionably nonpartisan former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan, who, by the way, has been around forever, sort of, had this to say about that flexible, resilient and strong economy. This is a once in a half century, probably once in a century type of event. Is it the worst you've ever seen in your career? Oh, by far. There's no question that this is in the process of outstripping anything I've seen. And it still is not resolved and it still has a way to go. Okay, it's not like Alan Greenspan is a disinterested party here. But your choice is set. Do you want this economic crisis to be handled by the party that thinks this crisis is not so bad? Or do you want this crisis to be handled by the party that thinks it is bad? Do you trust Barack Obama and Joe Biden to handle this crisis wisely? Or do you think this is a job for John McCain and Sarah Palin? Joining us now is Robert Reich, Secretary of Labor under President Clinton, now a professor at the University of California at Berkeley. He does serve as an economic advisor to the Obama campaign. Mr. Secretary, thank you for joining us. Well, Rachel, thank you for having me. I, you know, this is, uh, this is not a pretty picture. No. And to hear, um, I mean, Alan Greenspan, as I said, not a disinterested observer, but to hear Alan Greenspan describe this as the worst he has ever seen in his lifetime is jarring. 
How bad is it? Well, uh, uh, it's, it's very bad. And Alan Greenspan has had a long lifetime so far. Yes. Uh, so this is very, very bad. I I'll tell you, it's not just the meltdown on Wall Street that concerns me. It's also, we've had more than 600,000 jobs lost in the American economy. We've got a degree of job security we haven't seen in years. And people cannot get any more money. That is, their purchasing power is very low. Uh, if people can't afford to buy things, uh, if their income is dropping, then obviously uh, there's not going to be more jobs because producers are not going to hire more people to make things. Why is Senator McCain saying over and over again, in the light of all those things that you just described, why is he saying that the fundamentals of the economy are strong? We've heard it both from President Bush and repeatedly now from Senator McCain. What's that about? Uh, Rachel, I think it's basically because the Republicans have been in charge now. I mean, the Democrats have been in charge, what, since uh, uh, in Congress since uh, January of 07. But uh, before that, it was Republicans in Congress, and it's certainly Republicans in the White House. And if you're a Republican running for president, you're not going to say, uh, look, everything is terrible, it is awful. Even if you're trying to distance yourself from George W. Bush, you can't distance yourself from every Republican. And indeed, you were there running Congress. You were part of the congressional. Republican leadership. Well, how much of what's wrong is the result of bad policy in Washington, and how much of it is economic stuff that would have happened regardless of what was happening in Washington? Uh, Rachel, economic stuff goes up and down. I mean, it's like uh, Isaac Newton's law, what goes down comes up, what goes up goes down. There is a business cycle. But here, with a meltdown on Wall Street, the subprime mess, it's very clear that there has been a relentless uh, desire on the part of people in Washington, Republicans and the Bush administration, to look the other way, not to regulate, uh, not to even enforce current regulations. And that has fed the problem, because without regulations, without a belief that the market has to be regulated, you're going to have a lot of fraud. You're going to have a lot of uh, a funny business. Uh, you're going to have banks and investment banks that are issuing uh, securities that are not really backed with real value. Uh, you're going to have a lot of hanky-panky going on, and that's exactly what's happened. Well, speaking of hanky-panky, I look at Phil Graham as John McCain's former national co-chair, and I see the words, my fault, metaphorically written on his forehead because he was the kill the regulations financial guy for the Republicans. But you guys in the Clinton administration were not total bystanders to all this. And it makes no. me wonder if this is a liberal conservative split more than a Democrat Republican split. Were conservative Democrats part of the problem here? Uh, well, I, I, Rachel, certainly in the latter years of the Clinton administration, when I was not there any longer, I should add, <laughs> uh, there was an attempt by Alan Greenspan and uh, Bob Rubin uh, and a few others to deregulate financial markets. And they did. They split commercial banking off from investment banking. And many people will say, well, that was the beginning of the problem. And then, of course, in, 19, in 2003, 2004, Alan Greenspan reduced uh, short-term interest rates to the point where, you know, every single bank wanted to lend money. I mean, if you could stand up straight, uh, you could get a bank loan because there was so much pressure to get that money out the door. Money was so cheap. Uh, so, yes, there is some, uh, some responsibility on Democrats, some responsibility on Alan Greenspan and the Fed. But I'll tell you, uh, the Republicans have avoided any kind of a regulatory oversight of this, high, of this entire mess. And not just housing and Fannie Mae and, Fred, and Freddie Mac, but all of these institutions have just uh, gone... Uh, now that I've lost everything to you, you say you want to start something new, and it's breaking my heart you're leaving, maybe I'm grieving, that if you want to leave, take good care, hope you have a lot of nice things to wear, but then a lot of nice things turn bad.
Now all of a sudden everybody's like, hey, yeah. not everybody, some people, some people are like, oh, yeah, wait a minute, where is Paulson's money? And it's not just the left wing, it's also the right wing. Uh, Paul Krugman of the New York Times, Michelle Malkin, <laughs> saying, hey, wait a minute, let's look into this Hank Paulson guy. Maybe we shouldn't trust him as some sort of deity, and we should look into where his real interests lie. And then uh, Representative Pete DeFazio, Representative Jim McDermott, who are good, strong Democratic congressmen, and everybody's beginning to wonder, right? Uh, but it's not just Michelle Malkin on the right wing that are uh, doing a good job of questioning uh, Paulson. It's also, here we go, third time, Jim Bunny of Kentucky. And this isn't from today. We got a video, and Dave found this, two months ago when he's holding Paulson's feet to the fire and said, hey, where the hell is this money going to come from? And what, 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 are we, what are we doing here, right? Now, I want to show you this video as to, I think, what is good questioning by a Republican, and then we're going to come back and talk about how the Republicans can steal this issue. Here we go. Senator Bunning. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. When I picked up my newspaper yesterday, I thought I woke up in France. But no, it turned out it was socialism here in the United States of America, and very well, going well. The tre Treasury Secretary is now asking for a blank check to buy as much Fannie and Freddie debt or equity as he wants. Do you know in the same bill that you'd like to attach this to, there is a tax on Fannie and Freddie from $500 million to $800 million per year for a housing trust fund? Do you know that? You don't. Do you really think, do you think that we can believe exactly what you're saying, uh, uh, Secretary Paulson? I, I can tell you what you can believe. You can believe I'm, I believe everything I say, and that I've been around markets for a long time, and uh, that I, so I, I, I share your, your, your frustration. Where will the money come from if, in fact, well, 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 where will the money come from if, in fact, we have to use the backstop? As I, as I said to you, that, uh, that it is my very strong belief that the way we can minimize the cost to the taxpayer, the way to minimize that to cost is not and the li likelihood is to be, be unspecified and enhance the confidence in, 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 in the market. So that's, that's my answer. It's, it continues to be my but it, answer. But it doesn't answer the question. Well, where is the money going to come from if you have to put it up? Well, obviously it will come from the government, but I would say and this. Who is the government? The taxpayer. <laughs> Look, man, he, he put him in a corner. He did. And Jim Bunning, not known for his mental acuity, but uh, all of a sudden, look at that. He's like, look, and he asked a very good question there, and the answer isn't just the taxpayer. He's saying, where's the money coming from? And in none of this have I heard a discussion about an offset of that $700 billion. You know, what happened to pay as you go? Remember that? And Democrats were in favor of that. So 
if you spend some put some money in the budget, well then you got to go ahead and offset it with something else. This one they're just going to put in the budget along with AIG and uh, Bear Stearns and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac totaling at least a trillion dollars. Trillion dollars goes in the budget. Well, where does it come out? And if they don't say, all right, here's how we're going to save a trillion dollars, well, it's untenable. What you're doing is you're saying, all right, well, our kids, grandkids and grandkids are going to pay for it. The dollar is going to go down and our economy is going to suffer for it. And we're not really, we don't have a plan to pay. No, 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 no. I want a plan to pay for it. So if you're going to do a trillion dollars in the budget, I want to see either spending cuts equaling a trillion dollars, which you know you'll never do, or I want to see tax increases. Because we have to pay for it, right? And are they going to agree to the tax increases? Of course not. And even already, Barack Obama is saying, well, some of my spending priorities are going to have to take a hit if I become president. Great. It's exactly what Naomi Klein was talking about. Sorry, we spent all the money on the war. We spent all the money uh, bailing out Wall Street. And now we don't have any money for you. No health care, no better energy proposals, nothing. There's nothing left. Disaster capitalism. How do you like us now? How can we never find the money for health care? Never. And whenever you ask, hey, can we get health care in the country? They're like, no, no, we don't have the money. Oh, you guys want to tax and spend. All you want to do is spend money. Oh, war? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a trillion dollars. Oh, Wall Street? Yeah, here's another trillion dollars. Don't worry about it. We always have money for that, but we never have money for health care or education or energy or anything that might make sense right anything that would actually help real americans no i'm sorry we don't have money for that it's not like it's a democracy we got a couple of people on wall street and a couple of people in washington who run the place and they're looking to get rich ready or not here i come you can't hide gonna find you and take it slowly ready or not Escape, sleep, walk away. Yeah. Those who correlate yeah. know the world ain't kick. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break. When they meet their 400 pound mate, if I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun in the ghetto, of course. When get the up and on their horse. Kick around, drink and moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete for the deceased, but no, don't weep. Why Clef's in a state of sleep, thinking about the robbery that I did last week. Money in the bag, banker look like a drag. I wanna play with pelicans from here to Baghdad. Gun blast, think fast, I think I'm hit. My girl pinched my hips to see if I still exist. I think not. I'll send a letter to my friends. A born again, hooligan, only to be king again. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Democrats and Republicans, the President and Congress are negotiating a deal on an economic bailout. But what exactly are they hoping to prevent? Well, for a few hours last week, it was possible to see what could happen. Some on Wall Street say the U.S. economy had a near-death experience. And that is what terrified Washington into action. To understand that moment, when Bush administration officials first realized they had a big problem, NPR has again partnered with the Chicago public radio show This American Life. NPR's Adam Davidson and Alex Bloomberg from This American Life have this story. Mark Peterson doesn't work on Wall Street. He's in Memphis. He's got nothing to do with the mortgage industry. But last week had him shaken, almost literally. For those of you, you know, have experienced an earthquake, you know, some people say it's a soul-wrenching experience because you realize there's a power out there that's doing something that you have no control over whatsoever. 
and it's massively moving everything. And that's last week. Last week, there was a monster that was unleashed. The commercial paper market, which is the most liquid market probably in the world, basically froze up. Commercial paper? That's the monster that wrenched his soul? Yeah. I mean, well, it turns out commercial paper, a kind of short-term loan, is one of those things that you've never heard of, but that helps make the world go around. And Mark Peterson knows this because he's treasurer of ServiceMaster, which owns, among other things, a lawn care company, Merry Maids, and Terminix, which will get rid of your termites. Let's just say that you have Terminix come out and treat your house. You write a check. So our billing system goes in, marks your account as having been paid. So every day, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of Terminex customers and other people are, are writing checks and you sort of have a position of like, what's what's our cash position now for the day in, in this company? Yep. Either we're going to have too much money at the end of the day or we're not going to have enough money at the end of the day. Like today, do you do you have money or do you need money? Today, our company, we have money. But tomorrow, they might not. It's not a big deal. Maybe they need to buy a lot of termite poison or upgrade their fleet of termite-fighting vans. Every company works like this. Some days they have extra money. Some days they need to borrow. If you're a regular person, you use your credit card. If you're a gigantic company, you use the commercial paper market, a way of borrowing a lot of money. We would say, I'm going to give you a million dollars tomorrow if you give me $999,000 today. Got it. So tomorrow, whoever sent the $999,000 in, he's going to get an extra 1000 bucks tomorrow. And so every day, treasurers all over America and all over the world are getting into their office at 8. They're surveying sort of like their data, and then they're going and they're issuing commercial paper. How, how much money are we talking about, do you think? It's hundreds of billions of dollars. Every day? Every single day. Now, if you've never heard of this, well, there's a reason. It's been a relatively boring business. <laughs> It could be somebody down at almost a clerical level calling every single day to Merrill Lynch and saying, I need to borrow $50 million. At what rate can I borrow at? Post that rate, and let's get it done by 11 o'clock in the morning. It, it, it stopped being boring sometime this year, huh? <laughs> it, it actually stopped being boring last year. Most of the banks don't even want to do $100 million. They want to come in and they want to raise a billion, $2 billion. This is Tom Corona with Tradition Financial in Lower Manhattan who's also, unfortunately, not at all bored these days. He's the guy these companies call when they want to borrow short-term money. It just so happens that most of the companies who call him are banks, and they can usually get a pretty low rate. At least they could, until last week. Banks were forced to start paying usury rates uh, to get money. And even when they were paying usury rates, even if they could get money, they could only get 50 or $100 million. Now, I don't mean to let 50 $100 million sound like a little, but now in market, it's nothing. It's, it's so small. These banks normally, at, at that spread, could raise billions in an eye blink. This is what happened last week that terrified Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson, Fed Chief Ben Bernanke, and President Bush. This is not a bunch of big investment banks getting their comeuppance for making bad loans. This was the fundamental flow of our economy breaking down. Money stopped moving. Big, safe, respected companies that were far away from all the subprime problems had trouble getting the short-term loans they needed to pay their bills. I don't think I've ever been this nervous in my career because I think the financial system was so close to locking up. I think we were real close to the abyss. This is Paul Balika of Daiwa Securities. We talked with him to figure out why this happened. Why couldn't companies borrow money? 
he watched this meltdown from what he calls courtside seats, although when you're a bond trader, courtside seats means a chair in front of a computer screen with lots of numbers on it. Yeah, lots of numbers. And uh, what happened that scared him so much is that for the first time ever, one of the most dreaded events on Wall Street occurred. A money market mutual fund broke the buck. So what does that mean? A money market fund is like a savings account. There's a good chance you have one. It's even more boring than commercial paper. It is, in normal times, seen as totally safe, pretty much no risk. You put a thousand bucks in, you know for sure you'll get a thousand bucks out. Hopefully you'll get some interest, but you'll never lose any money. That's the key. And if you do lose money, that's called breaking the buck. And last Monday, the oldest money market mutual fund in existence, the Reserve Fund, broke the buck, and people freaked out. Breaking the buck is is uh, sort of like uh, having a serial killer in a high school. It's you know, and it caused a little bit of panic. We can take a look at some of the returns. People people are not concerned about getting a, re- a return on capital. They just want the the return of capital. So that that is panic. That is fear. So people took their money out of money market mutual funds. They were afraid they were going to lose all that money. And what is the main thing money market mutual funds own? Commercial paper, those short-term loans to big corporations. And that is why, no matter how safe and trusted a company was, for a few hours last Wednesday and Thursday, they couldn't borrow money the way they normally had with commercial paper. Because the people running money market mutual funds were too busy freaking out and not lending any money. As far as we can tell, this is one of the biggest things that convinced Paulson and Bernanke that things had gone too far. If this went on for one more day, the economy would start to shut down. Once again, Paul Belika. Well, what happened is no one would be able to borrow money. And then, and then how does capitalism work if you can't borrow money? You're back to bartering pretty much, you know, or you know, no working capital. No, I, the, the extension of credit just almost came to a halt. Just ending, period. The key word there is almost. The commercial paper market has been awful since last Wednesday. We just called Tom Corona. He says today things took a turn from really bad to even worse. This is what he said exactly. Nothing is trading. But companies have found other ways to borrow money, mainly lines of credit from their bank. The fear is that someday those lines of credit will freeze too. It's certainly possible. Then there just won't be any borrowing. Ben Bernanke said that could be worse than the Great Depression. But there are other economists and respected ones who will tell you that's not true, that some businesses will eventually start lending their money when the price is right. Eventually, it'll work itself out. Maybe. Right now, today, that is the $700 billion question. See you. 
Our times have hit Springsteenville. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. Nowhere has the recent industrial slowdown hit harder than Springsteenville, a blue-collar Rust Belt city whose 75,000 inhabitants are all laid-off Vietnam veteran factory workers. Springsteenville was once considered an ideal American town, but its glory days have passed it by. Baby, this town rips the bones from your back. Springsteenville Mayor Clarence Clemens. Local officials say the situation is a death trap, a suicide rap. Doyle Redland for The Onion, Radio News. The masters of the universe, how they ran amok and cost us the earth. The Scotsman writing about this, uh, the the slam, 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 like a scene from the gathering of Mafia Dons. The doors of 30 black Lincolns slammed shut as their besalted occupants stepped out into a Manhattan downpour and into a global financial storm. These were the CEOs of the largest banks and insurance companies in the world coming together, pulled together by the New York Fed, and something reminiscent of J.P. Morgan uh, doing uh, much the same back in 1907. Uh, so who are these guys, and what are they getting? And, you know, what's what's involved, you know, what's... Well, let's see. Um, uh, how, how, first of all, you know, uh, Lehman Brothers, it's a venerable institution. Eh, it was started in 1844, but it really didn't get big until the 90s, you know. And this guy, Fold, became, uh, Dick Fold, became the uh, CEO. And uh, not doing too badly. So let's just, uh, how does this translate? Okay. Uh, Fold, uh, despite the crash, stands to leave with 65 million bucks based on Lehman's Friday morning stock price at $3.73. That tally includes 8.6 million unrestricted shares worth $32 million. Uh, okay, uh, Mr. Prince, Chuck, I'm still dancing Prince. He left Citigroup with a package said to be worth $40 million, also a pension of $1.78 million. Uh, he was ousted, by the way, back in October with a retirement package reckoned at $160 million. This is, uh, I'm sorry, this is Lynch's, yeah, Stan O'Neill. Lynch's Stan O'Neill, $160 million. Jimmy Kane, 15 years of the head of Bear Stearns. Uh, he, he walked away, uh, not too bad. He was playing golf actually when he heard that his company was, was uh, going down the tubes, but they sold all their 5.6 million shares in Bear Stearns for $61.3 million. And the company recent, the couple recently bought two adjacent apartments in New York's plush plaza building for 28.2 million bucks cash. He, by the way, left with a $30 million golden goodbye. Nice parachute. Bought a mock Tudor mansion in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is this is how bad it is for uh, you know these poor guys who are uh, the captains of industry who are losing their companies as as they're losing their companies they're walking away with millions and who's bailing them out you and me 
And what are we getting for it? Nothing. Nothing. Except a bunch of conservatives running around saying, oh, you liberals, you're slandering us. How dare you? I mean, how strange does this get? Lehman Brothers, the end of leverage. This is from the Asia Times. This is fascinating. The demise of Lehman. You know, first of all, Fannie and Freddie, this is the failure of privatization. Why won't anybody say it? I, I, I was watching Kramer yesterday on CNBC, and he's going off like all of a sudden he sounds like Franklin Roosevelt. I mean, for the last five, ten years, the guy's been a, a, a Reagan right winger, and all of a sudden he's going, hey, they didn't, they didn't regulate us well enough. They didn't protect us well enough. You know, Mr. Cox uh, over at the SEC, he's uh, responsible. Uh, he's responsible for it. Because people like you, Mr. Kramer, crazies out there who said deregulation, government is the problem, not the solution. All these crazies were saying we need to deregulate the markets. Markets, after all, work just fine without regulations. And what's the result? The predators come out of the woodwork. There's a reason why you have regulations. There's a reason why capitalism at a small scale, at a, at a, at a relatively small scale, works just fine. Thank you very much. You know, small businesses. Medium-sized businesses, but as Teddy Roosevelt in 1913 correctly pointed out, when you get to the level of large business, you're looking at something that has the potential to actually harm a nation. And that's what's going on. That's what that's what's going on in a in a in a very very big way. And and here we are bailing these companies out. And uh, you know, as I said earlier, gold has gone up, I think, 60 bucks in the last hour. And the stock market has gone down a couple hundred points. I believe that, A, the market going down is something that's not going to stop. We're, we're entering a major bear market phase, in my humble opinion, because there just isn't the money, number one. Number two, they bailed out AIG. Why didn't they bail out Lehman? They, well, they, 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 Lehman, they could let fail. But AIG is is backing. First of all, as I said, it was started as as the, as a as a Chinese company by an American many many years ago. They they are backing our investments all over the world. If AIG went, it would have sparked a worldwide disaster. And uh, but you and I get to bail it out once again. going to talk to a McCain, senior McCain advisor, Nancy Fossenhauer. Boy, does she sound like a Republican. Let's start with uh, clip number uh, nine. Here we go. 
But I don't understand. You're running. John McCain is the nominee of the Republican Party. He's going to stand yes. in that debate next Friday night on the 26th because he's the nominee of the Republican Party. That's why he has a 50-50 chance of winning this election, because he's the nominee of the Republican Party. And the other guy's the nominee, Barack Obama, the Democratic Party. How can you run away from the party? whose platform you're running on. I don't understand how you can deny that you're the in-party, you're the incumbent party. Chris, look at the policies that, 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 that have caused the problem. Increased spending is probably the, the, the single most important one that Washington can control. Who's midwife that? Democrats as well as Republicans. Look at Barack Obama's record. But the Republicans have controlled the Congress dollars. for three... Yeah. But the Republicans but have you, controlled the Congress since 2001, since the election. And, and, what are you talking about? They've run the Congress three quarters of those years. What I'm talking about is the fact that the, in, the, the spending that was running amok, Barack Obama not only blessed, but he took part in, whereas you had but Senator McCain who tried to stop it and who stood on the floor Nancy, and fought his own I'm party I'm not blaming as you. Well I'm not Democrats, blaming you, Ms. Funhauer. Well you weren't the there. You weren't there, but the Republicans controlled the Congress, and every year you're complaining about Every year no, you're no, complaining that's, that's about they true. controlled the that's Congress. Not, Which year are you no, talking about? Uh, well, it's the, 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 the increased spending has continued even now. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But For those of you who can't see it, uh, Matthews is also does something funny in the video. He leans in. Like when she's about to answer, he's like, uh-huh. Go ahead. Go ahead. What, which year are you talking about? Oh, really? How, go ahead. You're going to defend the Republican Party? You know, which, which year? No, it's great job, man. And he's only getting warmed up. Let's go to clip number two. And if you get any honest reporters who paid attention to what's gone on with Fannie and Freddie over the last however many years, you know that the Democrats were in the pockets of Fannie and Freddie. And you, you basically had Barney Frank, okay. who was, who is, whose nickname is the patron saint of the okay. DNCs, and you had Sarbanes stop it with a few Republicans who were peeled off and who helped stop real reform. But that was, was done by the Democrats primarily. And But anyway, it's not the, the, the point should be on how do we solve the problem. And Senator no, McCain the point is who's responsible clear. for the problem. The, the point is who's responsible, and those responsible play defense, and those who aren't responsible play offense. That's how politics works. <laughs> the funny thing is, actually, Chris Matthews is a little wrong about that, uh, because that's how politics is supposed to work. The way it actually has worked for the last 20 years is, no matter what, the Republicans play offense, and the Democrats play defense. But here's Chris Matthews asking the most important question, and she doesn't have an answer for it. Who is responsible for this? Who's responsible for this? And the answer is obvious. It's obviously the Republicans who have been in charge. And she goes, well, with the spending, and there was some Democrats, it was the Patriots saying a Sutton. He's like, wait, 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 but you guys are running the whole show. How could it be the Democrats' fault? See, this is so simple, and it is so obvious. Yet, other than Chris Matthews here, I haven't seen any other media pe people drill baby drill on this. <laughs> okay, drill into it. Just every Republican that comes on the show you got to ask them the same question. Didn't you guys do this? Didn't you create this mess? So how could we possibly trust you to take charge of it and to make it better when you're the one who started the mess in the first place? Now, to, now Matthews goes in with a kill, and he's going to finish her off. Let's watch. Let me ask you this. Look at these numbers and ask yourself the Ronald Reagan question. Unemployment rate when your party came into power, 4.2%. Unemployment rate today, 61 
Fiscal situation when your party came into power, $281 billion surplus. Situation now, $357 billion de deficit. Situation when your party came into power, $5.7 trillion national debt, today $9.7. Situation when your party came into power, uh, gas prices about a buck forty-six. now they're about $4. How can you answer the question, we're better off now than we were seven years ago? How can you answer I think, positively? I think you, you say, what policies will get us where we need to be? And they're not Barack Obama's that raised taxes in an economic yeah. downturn and propose almost a billion dollars in new spending over the next four years. Okay. Again, you have increased taxes, increased spending, and you add to that mix, that nasty cocktail, if you will, protectionism. And again, okay. it's a job-killing machine. That approach doesn't work in this so country. It doesn't work in other so countries scare. where it's just... So you're trying no, to scare the voters? They're going from the frying pan to the that fire? That is really no, over is, the what top, are you doing then? It's what are you not doing? scare. It's, are you defending the policies? Of Mr. I just want to ask you, are, did you vote Republican the last time in 2004. Did you vote for Bush? Uh, what did Cheney? you vote? No, I, I'm, not, I'm asking you because you're defending uh, yeah, the policies of this administration. No, I'm asking you. You're on as a surrogate for this. If you're not happy to defend this administration, fine. Uh, you don't have to answer any defending. political question. I think you're on as a Republican spokesperson. If you're not, fine. Yeah, you know what, Chris? I am here as a McCain spokesperson, oh. and why don't we focus on that? Okay, so, they, so take off Senator the party McCain's uniforms. Proposal. No, I have never heard of anything like this. Why don't you let me finish? What I'm advocating is Senator McCain's proposals, which will bring about economic growth and job creation. Right. You name me one professional economist who tells you that it's smart to raise taxes in an economic downturn. Name one. Because it's you just tell me not. one that's voter who's ever been told that's to stick with the Democrat. same party, that's to stick with the Republican, same party when things Democrat. aren't going well. That's Have you ever Republican. voted for the same party when they've blown it? Have you ever you done that? What? You know Have you ever Chris? voted for a party that's blown it economically after they've blown it? Most people say, Chris? let's try something else. Don't they? Did you go get him, Chris? You go get him. Look at Chris Matthews, all of a sudden, lion of cable news. <sighs> All right. He said, look, you guys blew it. Why should we vote for you again? There it is. Game, set, and match. So simple. Why don't they do that every time? <laughs> and I love it. She's answering with this, you know, same old taxes stuff. He's like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and then he called her out on it. Oh, so you're going to go to the fear. Oh, he's going to raise your taxes. That's, you know, that's the thing you got in your bag of tricks, and you're going to play that again, the fear card. And uh, I love when he pauses and he goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> they should ask him that of the whole Republican Party. What are you guys doing? What are you going to argue that we were better off under Bush? And look, understand the critical thing he's nailing down there. These guys are pretending not to be Republicans. Because they, they know this record sucks and they want to run away from it. And what Matthews is saying is, let's understand something. You guys are Republicans. You're the ones that cause this mess. And you can't run away from it. That's reality. Now, that's why when John McCain comes out in this convention speech and says, I'm going to reform this government. And what do you mean? This government has been Republican the whole time. Why didn't you reform it before? What were you waiting for, John? You're not going to reform it. You've been lock, stuck, and barrel with these guys. You voted with them 90% of the time. You never challenged Bush effectively on any of this stuff. And now we should trust that same Republican Party who got us into this mess to get us out of it? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why every single anchor on cable news doesn't do what Chris Matthews just did in that last couple of minutes. Nicely done, Chris. Nicely done.
Thanks for listening, everybody. No huge announcements today, so I'll be real quick with what I want to say. Uh, just a quick reminder that if we've made it to the voting round of the podcast awards this year, we will find out about that in the next few days, and voting will start after October 19th at some point. So just keep your eyes and ears opened, and we'll be letting you know more information about that when we have it. Uh, the blog is going well. Check out uh, what we have going on at the, at the blog, bestoftheleft.com, and, uh, and bloggers are still wanted. We have a great team of people writing for us already, and you can join that team and, and help make the blog uh, as good as it possibly can be. If you have any questions about what sorts of posts we're doing or, or what sorts of things you know we would want from you, just take a look at the blog as it is, and you'll see uh, we have a, a great variety of different type, types of posts. And uh, if any of that sort of thing looks interesting to you, you can be a part of the team. I really encourage you guys to continue to fill out the listener survey we have posted on the site. Uh, right on the homepage, on the, on the right-hand sidebar, um, there's a big link at the top, and, and that gives us a lot of great information about you and, uh, and, most importantly, what you like and don't like about the show. And so we've been getting great information from that. Um, please continue filling out that survey. And finally, if you're interested in helping us promote the show or the blog, there's so many ways you can do it. Anything from the one-time action of leaving us a great customer review in the iTunes Music Store to digging the show in the sidebar or digging each of our blog posts. Uh, anything like that is great. Also, if you have your own website, we have great Best of Left banners and uh, you know large and small links that you can post on your site to link to us. Or you can just do the very simple act of telling your friends about us. You know, uh, we're always gonna, going to appreciate uh, like a $5 donation to help us do what we do, but we'd much rather have you tell five friends because that's what's going to really help spread the word of the show, of the blog, and get out the information that we're trying to get out to more people. So in a very, very big way, we're depending on you guys to um, you know, decide if, if you like what we do and you want to help spread the word, uh, that's how it's going to get spread more than any other way. And we really appreciate it. So that's it for today. Coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the border and conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you from bestoftheleft.com. Mm-hmm.